Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. We are actually launching a brand new sermon series. It's going to be an eight-week sermon series. So if you're visiting today, maybe you want to stick around for eight weeks. It's totally up to you. But we are introducing that sermon series today, and we are entitling the series Gifted. Some of you might have saw, seen that on our social media as we are anticipating this series. We're entitling it Gifted, and we are going to take eight weeks to discuss the gifts of the Holy Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we want you to know that if you were a follower of Christ, you have been supernaturally gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have been given a supernatural power for service. And one of the biggest travesties, I think, in Christian communities is not knowing your gift. Or maybe even more, maybe more tragic is having a gift but not using it to glorify God and build up his church. And so we're going to be spending the next eight weeks talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a dangerous thing when you talk about the gifts because it is, how many know it is a dangerous thing to talk about power? Uh, many of you probably heard, maybe more recently, the, the study of power, right? Power dynamics. And, and, and what we learn in the study of power is that power comes in different shapes, different forms, different ways. It's exercise in different places. Uh, uh, there could be pow- positional power. There could be spiritual power. There's power dynamics in the home. There's power dynamics at the workplace. There's this deep dive into power power. And I want you to know it's dangerous to talk about the gifts because the gifts are power. They're supernatural power. And anytime power is given and then power is exercised, there's always the danger that power can be corrupted. There's always a danger that power can be used to abuse and to manipulate. And I have to say this before I get into the sermon series and today's sermon, I think one of the more one of the most dangerous the most dangerous people and the most dangerous places on the planet are in churches. Because of power being used, authority being exercised in inappropriate ways. And so we're going to take the next eight weeks to talk about the supernatural power of God given to his people. But it would be, uh, 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 it would be tragic for me to talk about power without framing it around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if power, even supernatural power, is used without submission to the authority of Christ, without submission, without an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then what we think is good becomes toxic, abusive, and harmful. And so this morning, before we start diving into the actual gifts of the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks, I think it's appropriate to start this sermon series, to start this discussion, looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the kingdom of God views the dynamic of power. Amen? So before we talk about the power that Christ, the Holy Spirit, has given you, we should talk about the way 
that we should wield that power, exercise that power in order to bring honor and glory to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. I honor you. I pray this morning that your will would be done. Your word would be spoken. Your son, Jesus, would be glorified. And that everyone in this room would walk out of here uh, uh, humbled by the cross and humbled by the beautiful uh, uh, demonstration of love and exercise of power by Jesus Christ. Would you, would you help today to be a framework for the rest of our eight weeks? And we give you all honor, all glory, and all praise. Amen and amen. I have to go quickly here. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Usually I wait for you to open up your scriptures, but um, we're going to have it for you here on the screen. You can take your notes. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. Again, I'm going to move quickly, so please follow along. I want to make sure I at least get to the meat and potatoes of this morning's message, and um, we will take the elements together and then uh, be on our way. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. 45, the scripture reads like this, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. So Jesus going to Jerusalem with his disciples, and they were amazed, note that word, and those who, follow, who, who, uh, and those who followed were afraid. So some were amazed and some were afraid. And, and, and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Verse 33 saying, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will what rise verse 35 and then James and John the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said teacher we want you to do for us whatever you ask or I'm sorry we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you and he said to them what do you want me to do for you and they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. These men want power. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able I love it. So gullible. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and uh, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you now pay attention to these final lines but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to what be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many 
Before we answer today's story, in light of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I find it interesting that everyone wants the gifts, but nobody wants to give their life away. Everybody wants the power. Everyone wants the gifts, but nobody is willing to give their life away. Now, as we talked about or as we read, Jesus was journeying toward Jerusalem. And we're told that while he was journeying, some were afraid while others were amazed. Now, what was that all about? Why were some afraid? Well, this marks the third time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus would pull his followers aside and explain to them what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He he would be betrayed. He would be arrested. He would be falsely accused during trial. He'd be condemned, mocked, spat on, beaten, whipped, and then handed over to the Roman authorities to be crucified and killed. So you can see how his close friends were afraid. Are you with me? But then what's this about some others were amazed? Well, here's the interesting thing that, that I really enjoyed about this vignette. Knowing his fate, Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem anyway. In fact, the scripture says he walked ahead of them. And they were amazed because he knew what was coming, but he was going anyway. He was resolute. He was determined. He, He was a man on a mission. There was no hitch in his step, no stalling or delay. Now, I don't know about you, but that were me, if it were me, I'd take my time to Jerusalem. Right? I'd, I'd, I'd be sure to get lost at least a million times along the way. Right? If that were me and I knew that I was walking to certain death, if I knew what was awaiting me, that I would be mocked, that I would be falsely accused, arrested, betrayed, condemned, crucified. I would take my time to Jerusalem. But not Jesus. He was determined to obey the Father and ready to lay down his life. And this is why some were amazed. Now I want to draw your attention though to verse 34. Because in this simple verse, uh, uh, it contains not only the hope of the Christian faith, but the heart of the Christian faith. This simple verse, pay attention to it. If you're a follower of Jesus, pay attention. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, pay attention because it'll tell you a lot about what it looks like to follow Jesus. In this simple verse, tucked into this simple phrase, you have the hope and heart of the Christian faith, but you also have the call of every single person who professes to be a follower of Christ. Are you ready? Okay. I want you to look carefully. Go ahead. You can put it up. It says this. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will what? Do you see that? According to the Christian worldview, exaltation comes by way of humiliation. Some of you waking up yet? Glory comes by way of suffering. 
if you want to enjoy all the benefits of the resurrection, you're going to have to experience all the pain of a crucifixion. In fact, Jesus said this himself in Matthew 16. He says, if anyone would be my disciple, let him first what? Deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. I mean, if you think, if you call yourself a follower, it means that wherever that person is walking, you are following. Now, I'm convinced that this is why many people have tried Christianity. Like a, like a sample at Costco. But they ultimately end up walking away. This is why many of us date Jesus. Or, or, or we, we say we're Christian in title, but, but our lives are not laid down. Like, I'm convinced that this is the heart of the Christian faith. This is the call of the Christian, which is why many people are just talk. Why? Because you can't get resurrection unless you're crucified. You can't get exalted unless you're humiliated. Glory comes by way of suffering. That's what you get when you follow Christ. You have to suffer. You have to deny. You have to say no to the flesh. You have to make him Lord and then crucify yourself. The way of Jesus is the way of humility, sacrifice, suffering, and service. Like, well, what does this have to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So much. Because if you don't understand the way of Christ, then you're going to take power given to you, authority given to you, and you're going to abuse it or use it for your own glory. This is why it was really odd and out of place when two members of Jesus' inner circle come to him and they ask him, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> like it's so inappropriate. Like Jesus, that's really cool. You're going to die and all, but we got a list of demands for you. Like, oh, you're going to die, you're going to get beat, you're going to get whipped, condemned. Man, that's crazy. By the way, I got a list of things I need you to meet. Think about it. <laughs> the audacity of these dudes, right? But I, I, if we're being honest, we're probably more like them than we'd like to think. Think about it. Think about it. The disciples are making a request. And what's their request? Jesus, would you do for us whatever we want you to do? In fact, they're making a statement. <laughs> I mean, let me put it into perspective because, uh, you know, if you're like me, you're tempted to roll your eyes and think how stupid the disciples are. Right? And we're, you know, we're really judgmental and overcritical. Like we're really terrible at self-awareness, aren't we? Like, aren't we really good at picking apart the person next to us or the side in front of us? Like there, but when it comes to, like, we're really bad at self-awareness. So let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of us can say that our time in prayer 
is spent seeking the will of God. Like if we were to take your prayer time, they're having a great time out there. Hopefully. We got security though. We do have security. Um, like if we were to take your time of prayer and just put it on some scales, like how would it tilt? How many of us can say that our time in prayer is spent asking God to help us look more like Jesus? How many of us, like Christians, let's be honest. When was the last time you began your day asking God, how can I serve you today? When was the last time you began your day asking the Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I humble myself today? How can I die to my own agenda? How can I die to my own needs, my own wants, so that I can meet the needs of others today? Come on, Bay Area Christians. Let's be honest. How many of us make a habit of using our time, our talent, our gifts, our treasures to glorify God and expand his kingdom instead of building your own? Some of you in this room are extremely gifted, but you spend the majority of your gift building your own kingdom. The truth is, instead of judging James and John, we should be repenting. <laughs> right? Me too, because we look more like them than we do Jesus, don't we? Anglican priest, theologian, John Stott, observing this text, this is what he said. The brother's request is surely the worst and most blatantly self-centered prayer ever prayed. Jesus, would you do for me whatever I ask? And it only gets worse when you start to like peel back the layers of this request and get to like the specific detail of what they were asking. They had the audacity to ask Jesus, when you come into your kingdom as king of kings and lord of lords, give to us the two most prominent positions of power in your kingdom. That's what they were asking. Like in the ancient world, to sit at the right or to left of somebody, right? I mean, we see that today in our world. Presidents, monarchs. Right? Anyone in the cabinet, right? Anyone who sits, the vice president, right? We have these individuals. He says, can we sit at your left or your right? Now, you can decide which one of us. But can both of us, when you come into your kingdom as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords, let us sit in the most prominent positions of power in your kingdom. Fascinating. The contrast couldn't have been more dramatic. Jesus, the suffering servant, on his way to Jerusalem, looking forward to hanging on a tree. James and John, power-hungry self-promoters, focusing on seeing themselves enthroned. Jesus, looking forward to hanging on a tree. James and John, seeing themselves Sitting on thrones. You see that contrast? It's wide. It's deep. Listen. 
And it's, and it's only as we admire the beauty of Christ, right? It's only as we gaze at, as we look at the life, death, and resurrection of the spotless Lamb of God. It's only as we look at him and admire him that we're also confronted with our own ugliness. Isn't that true? Right? Like I said, we, we're really good. We're really bad at self-awareness. Right? So we look at, actually, we look to the left of us to make ourselves feel better because everyone's full of sin. But when you gaze at Jesus, like when you look at the lamb, resolute, determined, walking toward his death, and then you look at yourself, how could you not fall on your knees and say, I am a sinner? Next to Jesus it's not only James and John who are exposed, it's all of us. Are you with me? It's all of us. On Wednesday, we gathered with our home group facilitators and hosts, and we're slowly beginning to train, slowly, um, on what it looks like to be more gospel-centered in our homes. So when we gather together in homes to talk about the scriptures, we just don't want it to be a kumbaya moment, but we really want it to become more transformative. And, and we want to be true to this idea that we are a community that is being transformed by the gospel. We want to be true to that. And so part of the training with the hosts and the facilitators is just learning to see the gospel and apply it to all parts of our lives. So I want to look at service and power through the lenses of the gospel. Like I want to just do a simple exercise with you right now uh, through the lens of scripture and the gospel. Like let's look at this idea of service and power. Like just this evolution of service and power together. And so let's tell the story together and see how Jesus has redeemed service and power and how he, is, how he is talking about the way he will redeem it here in this text. You all know the story. Genesis, everything begins with what? Creation. Creation. And so in the beginning, God created everything good. And can I say this? Creation, God created all of us with a desire for significance. Did you know that? Did you know that inside of everyone in this room, there is a good and godly desire to make your life count? All of us in here, at some level, we want to be significant. We want to be impactful. We want to know that we mattered either to one person or to a lot of people. And can I tell you this? There's nothing wrong with that desire. It's God-given. In fact, it's this desire that has led to some of the world's greatest innovation. It's this desire that has led to the world's most beautiful art. It's this desire that has allowed humanity to have a baseline for mercy, justice, and human rights. We wouldn't have human rights unless it wasn't for the scripture saying that you were made in the image of God. Pastor Roger, myself, apologetics, we've talked about this. Atheism has no baseline for human rights. If you're just a bunch of stardust colliding with one another. But if you are a human with dignity, value, and worth, then there is a baseline that's been laid down for mercy and justice. And so I want you to know significance, that desire that you have, it's good. And it's godly. But you all know the story. 
We move from creation to what? Fall. Something has happened. Something has taken that good and godly thing and has marred it. Right? This desire for significance has been what? Corrupted by selfishness, arrogance, ego, sin. Y'all doing okay? Let me know you have a pulse. You don't have to amen every moment, but just give me a blink. Now, I want you to see this. Left unchecked and unhindered, the human condition defaults because of sin towards selfishness. Are you with me? The human condition, you, me, we default toward self-serving and self-seeking. And our good and godly desire becomes distorted into a kind of lust and thirst for approval and power. And so God created us good, but sin comes in and distorts that goodness. And that goodness becomes corrupted and distorted, and it turns into a lust. You know what lust is? Lust means it breaks things down. That's what lust does. It uses the other thing in order to gratify itself. Now, I don't know what your worldview believes. Maybe you're not a Christian in this room. But the Bible teaches us that this distortion or corruption is the source of all things. Not all things, but it's the, uh, the source or the, the, uh, um, the original starting place of all of these kind of negative ways in which power and authority have been abused. Things like imperialism, colonialism, slavery. It's the reason for systemic evils like political corruption and corporate greed. But don't be so systemic that you deny that there's individual sin, individual evil. Are you with me? Evils like jealousy, envy, rivalry, betrayal. And I wish I could say that this were untrue of the church, but I'd be lying. In its lust for power, the church has propped up so-called shepherds who abuse the sheep. It's propped up so-called prophets who manipulate for profit and sexually abuse. It's been home, the church has, unfortunately, to turf wars, power struggles, church splits. Some of you know what I'm talking about because there are some of you here that have been destroyed by that. And the fact that you're even at a church is difficult for you to even comprehend because there was a time where you swore off church. Listen, if it peaked its head in the first church among Jesus' inner circle, we can't be ignorant or arrogant to think that it's not going to try to peak its head up and inspire. Are you with me? Like if it peaked its head up in the inner circle of Christ, this corruption and disruption and distortion of of sin, we can't be arrogant to think that it's not going to happen here. It does happen here. There's warfare all the time. But this is why our church, Inspire Church, is committed to placing the life, death, and resurrection of Christ at the center of all that we say and all that we do. Because if the gospel is not centered, then you know what will produce? Insecure pastors. 
embittered leaders jockeying for position and power. Come on, some of y'all got enough at that, your job. Burnt out members, done. Entitled disciples thinking that they can pick and choose when and where and how they serve. You know what's crazy about service? Like Jesus says in, later on in the text, he says the word servanthood, which means service is not what you do, it's who you are. Come on, come on. That's another time. Go ahead. Right? It just creates toxic church culture that doesn't honor God. Lord, help us. With all this injustice and greed in the world, the question becomes, how could God allow it? Are you with me? Yeah. I could, we're still on this path, right? Creation. We were created with something good. Fall. Sin corrupted that. And then the next question is, well, how could God allow this to continue to happen? Right? What, what would he do? What is, he, what is he doing to make things right? How is he punishing evil? How is he punishing crooked pastors and, and sexually abusive prophets and, and, and entitled members and toxic cult? What is God doing about all this? Well, we get to the next part of the story. Well, redemption. Redemption. He has done something. What has he done? Listen, God judged his son on our behalf. He sent his son and he dealt with evil. In response to his disciples' audacious ask, Jesus uses three Old Testament metaphors that I think is going to set up our final lesson. And I'm going to go really quickly here. What are the three metaphors? He talks about the cup. I don't know if you saw that. Now, are you able to drink from the cup that I'm drinking of? He talks about baptism, right? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism? We have it for you here on the screen that I have been baptized. Well, let's talk about those two things. I know I said three. I promise I'll get to the third. Well, in the Old Testament prophetic language, the cup means the wrath of God. It's a metaphor for a cup and, 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 and something being liquid being poured into it and filled up. And the liquid is symbolic for the wrath of the full extent of God's wrath is poured into a cup. And then Jesus has come to drink it. To be baptized, we're not talking about the water baptism that, that many of professing Christians in this room has experienced. Jesus is saying the baptism that I'm going to be baptized, I'm going to be fully submerged in the wrath of God. I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to drown. I'm going to soak and drown in the wrath of God. This is why Jesus came. He, he, he was on his way to Jerusalem, resolute and determined to soak up the wrath of God on behalf of every evil deed, every unjust act, every abuse of power, on behalf of every toxic church culture that's brought reproach to his name, he willingly hung on the cross. This is why he refers to himself, and this is the third, a ransom for many. The word ransom, cup, baptism, and ransom. Now, this might mess you up, but Jesus doesn't mean that he paid the devil off. In fact, I heard R.C. Sproul say he didn't pay the devil off. On the cross, he crushed the devil. He crushed Satan's head. So then who did he pay the ransom to? The Father. Your sin is a debt. You owe God because you're unholy. But you can't, you don't have any money. You're bankrupt. And so Jesus came 
and with his blood paid the debt. He served the time. He was condemned, though he was innocent, for you and for me, for all the ways that you abuse power, for all the ways that you're selfish, for all the ways that you are controlling, for all the ways that you are planning your own life and your own agenda, doing it your way. We are glory thieves. And Jesus says, I'm going to pay the debt that you deserve to pay. And so on the cross, he drinks the cup so that those who will put their faith in him don't have to drink it. But those who don't put their faith in Jesus, they will drink the wrath of God. And that is the way all evil will be punished. It will either be punished in Christ or you will take the punishment. But it will get done. And I'm going to conclude here. There's a lesson. Jesus talks about the cup and the baptism, right? He's going to drink the full wrath. And it's funny because he's like, are you able to drink of that? And they're like, yeah, we got you. No, you're not. You, you, you know, the way Jesus asked it was like he was expecting like they were going to absolutely say, like, no, we can't. But they just told like, yeah, we got it. And then he said, interesting, he says, actually, you are going to drink a cup. But you know, you're going to drink a mini cup. It's going to be a cup like this. And this is what's important for all Christians. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to die. That's when you were baptized. You know what it means? It means you are being identified with his death. And then when you came up, you were being identified with his resurrection life. Are you okay with me? Are you good? I want to finish with this lesson. And then we're going to get ready. In fact, I want to invite the team to come forward. In a moment here, we have the communion table prepared here in the front. Here in the back, if you guys want to start preparing it to come forward. I I want to finish this sermon and take communion with this thought in mind. So as we're moving around, please stick with me because this is going to be like so super incredibly important. Uh, But as we prepare our hearts to partake of the communion, I want to leave this thought in your mind. Are you okay? There's a lesson here on on the power dynamics of the kingdom. And the stewardship of power, the difference between the world's understanding of power marred by the human condition and the the understanding of power in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? (laughs) Stay with me. Exemplified, embodied through Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. There is a difference, y'all, between the world's exercising of authority and power and the kingdom of heaven's exercising of authority and power. And it's a stark difference. And if you want to see the difference, you just look at Jesus and the way that he uses his power. It's really interesting because in this interaction, the disciples were trying to bring the world's idea of authority and power into the kingdom. Isn't that you? Like every day when you leave church, even in church, like you, you are under the world's operation of power. Right? Corporate America. Right? There's all, some of you in here are fighting, competing, uh, your job sometimes can be r- really crazy because everyone in there is trying to outdo one another, talking behind each other's back. 
putting someone down to make themselves look good. Y'all know the drill, and it happens in church too, right? And so that's what the disciples were doing. They were trying to bring the world, the marred idea of power into the kingdom. And Jesus does this. He says, no, it won't be so with us. And then he says, let me, let me, I just don't want to explain it, but I'm going to show you what it looks like to serve. And he heads to Jerusalem and he drinks the wrath of God and he lays down his life so that you and I would be free. It's like, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to, I'm going to embody it. Now, here's the final thing. Jesus, the supreme ruler of the universe, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, right? He was high and lifted up on the throne. He holds the universe together by his word. How does he demonstrate power? Not through force, but through the laying down of his life. The greatest demonstration of power is not seen by him coming down and slaughtering everyone, but him coming down and being the lamb who was slaughtered. So radically upside down than what we think. My son and I, I've had the luxury, sometimes the difficulty of driving them to school. Mama's working now and dad's got a little bit more flexible schedule, which is beautiful. Um, but we often talk about three qualities that I see in him and that I try to affirm in him every chance that I get, right? And we, we talk about wisdom. I think my son is wise. I really want my son to know his boundaries, to know his limits, to make wise decisions. We talk about courage. I know sometimes my son can be afraid, but courage is not the absence of fear, right? It's bravery. It's stepping forward in spite of fear. And our last one is gentleness, because if you know my son, he's gentle. He's gentle, and I know that somebody can take that and turn that on him and make it sound like it's weak. And early on, I saw his gentleness, and I wanted to call it out as a strength, not a weakness. And I wanted him to know. And so when we define gentleness, we don't talk about an absence of strength. We say, you're strong. You just don't use your power to hurt or to harm. But you use your power to serve. That's what gentleness is. It's not an absence of strength, right? It's restraint. And it's the ability to use your gift, your ability, your strength, and your power, not to hurt, not to harm, but to serve and to help. And Jesus was gentle. He's the epitome of gentle. And so as we talk about the power gifts of the Holy Spirit, we talk about how they can be used effectively and abused. It's important we center the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the temptation to serve ourselves, to center ourselves, to bring glory to ourselves will ruin this church. We need to be centered in Christ. And we need to look to him as the author, finisher of our faith, the embodiment of gentleness, beauty, service, humility, love. The one who was all powerful but laid his life down for you and for me. That's service. That's why you serve. That's why you do it. So with that being said, if you could rise to your feet. 
I wanna invite you to take a step out in a moment and grab the elements, grab the cup and grab the cracker as we prepare. I also want to make sure that if you are a visitor in this room, uh, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to join us. If you're in this room and you're not a believer, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. You might be asking, well, how do, I, how do I become someone who follows this wonderful Savior? It's really simple. The scripture says if you just would confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, if you would put your faith in him, you put your trust in the cross, you'd be saved. If you would look at the cross and realize that Jesus drank the wrath of God that you deserve. You just believe that, believe that truth, and you would receive it, and you would allow it to totally, radically re redefine how you look at things. You'd be saved. And so this table is for those who have said yes to following you. Not pretend yes, but for those who have said yes. It's difficult. I don't always do it right, but I have chosen to follow you over and over again because you are worthy of the follow. I want to invite you in this moment to take a step out, to grab the elements, head back to your seat, and then we will take this communion together. Thank you, Jesus. Before we take the cup and take the bread, I think it's really important. The Apostle Paul calls us to examine ourselves, to examine ourselves. 
And I think examination is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to gently point to you areas in your life where you have maybe took back the lordship of Christ. Like you have become lord of your own life. You have given lordship to someone else. And it's just, just let's, not de- let's put them back on the throne. And so would you just take a moment and examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. Create just a little space between you, a little individual space between you and the Lord. And Would you hear his love and would you see his justice and mercy and grace on the cross and his invitation to lay down your dead doings, your lay down your sinful works and to repent? And so, Lord, every, everywhere this week that we had failed sins of commission the things that we knowingly did sins of omission the areas in our life where we ignored your voice we invite you once again to be lord of all you are the only person that we can trust with lordship (laughs) you're the only person we might fear to give other people power over us But the person that we can give power over us, the person that we can give lordship over us is Jesus Christ. He's so worthy. He laid his life down. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't lie. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't need affirmation. He doesn't need approval. He laid his life down. So we thank him for the cross. We thank him for the sacrifice. We thank him for the bread, symbolic of his body, battered, whipped, bruised. And so as we eat the bread, let us all remember the body of Jesus Christ, suffering and surrendered for you. Let us take the bread. And I pray this morning that the cup would take on a new meaning for some of you. As we reflect on the prophetic language of the Old Testament prophets that talked about the cup of God's wrath poured out over kings and nations. And as we get ready to take of what is simple grape juice, may we be reminded and may we remember the cup that Jesus took for us. The full extent of God's wrath against sin that has marred and rude creation. Wow. Would you just think about that for a moment? As you drink grape juice, Jesus drank up the wrath of God. Thank you for the blood that's ransomed us. Thank you for the blood that's paid the sin debt. So let us all take of this cup, symbolic of that blood. And one last time, if we could just sing holy again, because he's so holy. He's so beyond us. He's so other. 
and he's so worthy of our praise and promise we won't keep you here much longer but can we just end can we seal this moment declaring the beauty glory majesty holiness of jesus christ heavenly father we thank you for the gift of your son we thank you that he radically walked this earth in a way no human being has ever walked this earth we thank you for the upside down kingdom that does things completely antithetical to the kingdoms of this world And we thank you that Jesus Christ embodied that kingdom. He was the embodiment, the living, visible reality of the kingdom of heaven. And I pray now that we, uh, as we drink our little cups, our lesser cups, and baptize with a lesser baptism, help us to be a church, both corporately and individually, that demonstrates and displays this upside-down kingdom to the world. Lord, I pray for those that are going to leave this place and go to jobs they don't like. I pray for those that are going to leave this place and and talk to bosses that they don't agree with and coworkers that they're angry with. Lord, I pray that this week the Holy Spirit would convict us to not live like the world, to not operate like the world, but to operate in the upside-down ethics of the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to be signs, witnesses, wonders to a world saying there's something different about the way you do your business. There's something different about the way you serve, the way you lead. There's something different, and it's because of Christ. And let this be a gifted church that would use their gifts to give all honor and glory to Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.